بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد صلی اللہ رسول الکریم اما بعد الحمد للہ جنائب از دا ٹوینٹی ایٹ آف جانوری ان دا ایئر So we pray to Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He blesses us in our months of Rajab and Sha'aban and conveys safely to the holy month of Ramadan. Amen. And I spent the session last night mentioning some of the special khasais, i.e. blessings that Allah Ta'ala has blessed His beloved messenger with sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So Hafiz Abu Nu'im, Muhammadullah in his Dila'i al-Nubu'ah, he also clarified another distinction. So quoting, Amongst his virtues was that the Prophet who came before him used to respond the accusation of foolishness, misguidance and untruthfulness made by those who belied them, which they found irksome and they themselves would refute them. Stop in the quote. So Hafiz Abu Nu'im Rahmatullah he said that when the previous Prophets were were accused or, you know, silly things were said to them, they themselves would respond to those, to that foolishness. However, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala relieved Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam of even this responsibility. For instance, he subhanahu wa ta'ala informed us that the people of Nuh alayhi salatu wa salam said, in Surah 7 verse 60, the translation, Verily we see you in plain error, which prompted him والسلام, to defend himself, saying, in the next verse, O my people, there is, there is no error in me. So he gives an example. So what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? That the people of Nuh said to him, والسلام, We see you in error. Who responded to that? He himself. The next verse, O my people, there is no error in me. And to who the salatu waslam, to whom they said, Surah 7 verse 66, Verily we see you in foolishness. Upon this, in refutation, he responded, O my people, there is no foolishness in me. Surah 7 verse 67. So note the pattern. The people accuse their prophet. The prophet himself responds back to their foolishness. Then he said, and Fir'aun said to Musa, alayhi salatu wasalam, O Musa, alayhi salatu wasalam, I think that you are bewitched. Surah 17 verse 101, to which Musa alayhi salatu wasalam replied, I think you are indeed, O Fir'aun, doomed to destruction. I in the next verse. So again, note the pattern. Accusation made against the Prophet, he responds back to that. But then Abu Nu'im said, Rahmatullah However, Subhanallah, Allah the Almighty, the All-Powerful, relieved his Prophet from the necessity of replying to the claims they made against him in order to further honor him and venerate him. Saying, for instance, in Surah 68 verse 2, you sallallahu alayhi wasallam are not by the grace of your Lord a madman. Mm-hmm. 
And he subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Surah Yasin, Surah 36, verse 69, And we have not taught him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, poetry, nor does it suit him. And he subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Surah Najm, Surah 53, verse 2, Your companion, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, has neither gone astray, nor has he erred. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responded to their mockery. They're saying, they're saying about him, Shall we direct you to a man who will tell you that when you have disintegrated into dust with full dispersion, Surah 34 verse 7, to which he subhanahu wa ta'ala replied, Nay, but those who disbelieve in the hereafter are themselves in a torment and far in error. Surah 34 verse 8. Subhanallah. So what did the great Abu Nu'im say? Rahmatullah. Allah ta'ala, he quotes four passages of the Quran. And what reference does he give? The references he gives is when Allah the Almighty is responding to the taunts of the unbelievers to the Prophet. So what is that? What's the difference? The previous prophets defended themselves. Our Prophet Allah is defending him. And he quotes the verses. Because you're mad. Allah goes, no, you're not mad. They said, he's a poet. Allah goes, he's not being taught poetry. They say he's gone astray. Allah goes, no, he's not gone astray. And then Allah quotes them, shall we, shall we direct you to a man who says you will become disintegrate, go to dust? Allah responded, it is the unbelievers in the hereafter who are far in error. So note the very subtle differences, easily missed. Why doesn't Allah the Almighty and Glorious allow the Surah to respond? Because at the end of the day, he's been insulted. Because Allah Ta'ala loves him more. So he himself responds to the taunts against Rasulullah. So combine. Yesterday I mentioned that Allah the Almighty and Glorious, He allowed the previous ummahs to call their prophets by their names. But for this ummah, He did not allow that. Now, when the unbelievers taunted their prophets, we learn from the Quran that the prophets responded to their taunts. But the same Quran, when our Prophet was taunted, Allah responded. So just from the Quran, this is what Abu Nayyam is doing. Just from the Quran, you see a pattern. And the pattern is clearly that Rasulullah is on a pedestal of his own. Again, Hafiz Abu Nayyam, in his Dalai il Nubu'ah, he mentioned another virtue. Amongst his virtues, is that Allah the Most High addressed Dawood commanding him not to follow his desires. Where? In Surah Saad, Surah 38, verse 26. The translation. O Dawood, verily, we have placed you as a successor in the earth. So judge between mankind in truth. Do not follow your hawa. Do not follow your desire. For it will mislead you from the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. While subhanallah, Allah the Most High informed us about Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that he does not speak of his own desire. In Surah 53 verse 3, Nor does he speak of his own desire. Thus declaring him innocent of following his own whims. So look at the heavens and earth difference. 
Dawood is one of the mighty messengers. He was given the Zabur. But what does Allah the Almighty and Glorious say to him? Do not follow your desire. Clearly mentioned in the Quran. Do not follow your Hawa. Surah 38 verse 26. But what does Allah the Almighty and Glorious say about his beloved? He does not speak from his own Hawa. Difference. Heavens and earth. Allah Ta'ala tells one of his messengers, don't follow your Hawa. It will mislead you. When it comes to Rasulullah, Allah Ta'ala exonerated him because he doesn't follow his Hawa. So again, note very fine points. And this is not to belittle the other prophets. That's not the intention of Abu Nu'im. He's just highlighting the status of Rasulullah. So now, Dawud If I left it at that, you're thinking, so what does he mean? Follow your desire. So first of all, in Sayyid Bukhari and Muslim, Rasulullah said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, there has been no greater worshipper of his Lord than Dawood. There has been no greater worshipper of his Lord, Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, than Dawood. Look at that for the place. What else did the Prophet say about him? Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He said that he would fast one day and have one day off. That was his pattern. So half of the year he fasted, half of the year he didn't fast. In fact, in one hadith in the Sayyid, the Prophet wasallam said, there, has been, there is no greater fast than the fast of Dawood. <laughs> Meaning one day on, one day off. He also said in the Sayyid, he never retreated in battle. <laughs> never put a step back. <laughs> he also said, wasallam that he would sleep for a third of the night, worship for half, and then rest for the sixth. So half of the night he'd do tahajjit every night. His recital of the Zabur was incredible. The mountains, the Quran says, would join with him. So his virtues are endless. He's a, he's a messenger. Despite all that, what did Allah the Almighty still say to him? Don't follow your desire. Think about that. Despite all that, don't follow your desire. But Rasulullah, subhanallah, he does not speak of his own desire. Notice, if Rasulullah said, Dawood is the greatest worshipper, really that was humility. Because Rasulullah himself was the, you know, on top of the pedestal, as they say. Our beloved messenger station, is so immense. And we have the following very interesting report. Sayyidina Anas radiyallahu relates that our beloved messenger said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, inna ilmi ba'da mawti ka ilmi fil hayat. Verily my knowledge after my death is as my knowledge in life. Subhanallah. Verily my knowledge after my death inna ilmi ba'da mawti is as my knowledge in life, ka ilmi fil hayat. This is recorded in Daylami in his Mushnad al Firdos, Kanzul Umal, Ibn Manda in his Fawaid, Asbahani in his Targheeb, Imam Siyuti in his Khasais 2 490 and others. So, what does this mean? When a person dies, 
he dies, everything dies with him. We don't say he's thinking. We don't say the connection with the world is gone. Mm-hmm. Apart from the fight that Allah Ta'ala, if he wants to show him something, granted. But his own connection is gone. Mm-hmm. Our beloved messenger said that his knowledge is not affected with death. Mm-hmm. He goes, I've still been given knowledge, just like in my lifetime. In a famous report, what did he say? My death also is an immense good for you. Why? For your deeds will be shown to me. If I see goodness, I will praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if I see evil, I shall seek forgiveness of him for you. This is recorded in Bazaar in his Musnad, number 1925 or 5-308. Imam Sayyuti in his Manahil al-Safa, number 8, and Khasa'is al-Qubra, 2-281, stated Sahih. Al-Haytami in Majma al-Zawai, 9-24, stated Sound. Sheikh Abdullah al-Talidi, Rahmatullah in his Tahdib al-Khasa'is al-Qubra, number 694, stated Sahih to the criteria of Imam Muslim. So it's an authentic report. So what did the Prophet say? What an opening statement. My death is an immense good for you. You would think, how can that be the, the Prophet passes away? That's, that's disaster. The Prophet said, no, my death is an immense good for you. He never wanted to explain. Because your deeds will be shown to me. So your deeds, whether they're good or bad, will be shown to me. If I see good, I will praise my Lord. But if I see evil from you, I will pray to Allah the Almighty to forgive you. So subhanAllah, at this very moment, what is Rasulullah doing? He's observing our deeds. He's either praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or he's praying for our forgiveness. So, is that normal? <laughs> right? There's nothing normal about the Prophet So this is why here, when it comes to his knowledge, one of the scholars said, it's continuously increasing. He received the Quran. The Quran was revealed to him piecemeal. But even after his death, Allah is continuously giving him more and more knowledge. So even though 1,400 plus years have passed, our understanding is his knowledge is increasing. Death hasn't stopped anything. Apart from the fact he tasted death, which is the promise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In the grave, Sayyidina Anas radiyallahu relates that our beloved messenger said, sallallahu alayhi wa the prophets are alive in their graves. They are praying. The prophets والسلام, are alive in their graves. They are praying. This is in Abu Ya'la, number 3425. Al-Haytami in Majma'a Zawaid, 8-211, stated, in his Hayat Al-Anbiya, Fi Quburihim, page 15. Hafiz ibn Hajar Asqalani stated, Sahih. In Fat al-Bari, 6-487. Bazaar in his Musnad, 2-271. So this is a flawless report. The Prophet وسلم, said, it's not just me. All the Prophets are alive in their graves. So now if a person makes this ludicrous statement, and I've heard it many times, the Prophets are alive in the barzakh. You ask them, what does that mean? He goes, just like all the Muslims are alive in the barzakh. So what's the response to that? If somebody has that understanding, what would you say to him? What's the honor? What's the honor for the prophets? The prophet said the prophets are alive in their graves 
You're saying all the Muslims are alive in their graves. So what's the honor then for the prophets? Meaning that can't be the meaning. The meaning is they've been given the ultimate honor in the barzakh. And the Prophet actually said they are praying. They are doing a physical action in the graves. So don't start using your logic. They're in the grave. There's six foot under. There's not much mo- uh, room to maneuver. Isn't it common knowledge that the graves turn into gardens of paradise? Right? That's just for a righteous believer. So there's plenty of room to pray in the graves for the prophets. Didn't Rasulullah, when he was going on the Isra, وسلم, from Makkah to Jerusalem, didn't he see Musa وسلم, praying in his grave? He saw that. I saw him in his grave praying. And then he met him in the heavens. When he went into, you know, the fourth, fifth, sixth heaven, he saw him. So how can he be in two places at once? Barzah. He's in the grave praying. He saw, he saw him in the heavens. You could argue maybe in his body he was in the grave or in the soul. But the scholars say no. Body and soul for the prophets. Wherever they are. This is a point of belief. Imam Suyuti said, in his Hawbi Lil Fatawa, the life of Rasulullah in his grave, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and the rest of the Prophets, والسلام, is known to us by ilmani, qat'iyan, definite knowledge. Ilman qat'iyan, meaning you deny this, takes you out of Islam, because there's no wriggling move with regards to the matter. All the Prophets are alive in their graves. This is also confirmed by Hafiz ibn Hazm in his Muhalla, Hafiz ibn Al-Qayyim in his Ar-Ruh, Hafiz Sakhawi in his Qawl Al-Badi. Those whoever denies this has committed unbelief. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala preserves. So now think about this. They're praying in their graves. So I mentioned this many, many times. The Quran mentions that the martyrs are alive in their graves. And there's two things that Allah Ta'ala mentions about the martyrs, the command for us, the living. Do not say that they are dead. So that's easy. You don't say with your tongue that they are dead. The second command is hard. Do not even think they are dead. That's harder. So we are not allowed to say that the martyrs are dead. We are not allowed to say or think they are dead. Then Allah Ta'ala mentions the third thing about the martyrs. They are alive, they are being well provided for, but you are not aware. They are alive, they are well provided for, but you, you are not aware of this. So that's Quran. So somebody goes, why isn't it mentioned about the prophets? Why is it only mentioned about the martyrs? And the response is, if somebody of a lower rank is given an honor, you do not need to mention somebody of a higher rank. So for instance, hypothetically, though it's not true, if Allah the Almighty said that about the prophets and the Quran, they are alive in their graves, they are being well provided for, don't say they're dead, don't think they're dead, you could then argue, well, that's only for the prophets. How do you know the martyrs have been given this? You understand? So Allah went lower. So you know that, look, those who are lower rank, far lower rank than the prophets are given this honor. And what about the prophets? It doesn't take a brain surgeon to work out. And, Matawatr, the world over, haven't bodies been preserved? Let alone in our tradition, the Islamic tradition, Christians. Right? What do they call 
those people who don't decay. They call them the incorruptibles. <laughs> and they call them saints. Because one of the signs of a saint is that the earth is forbidden to their bodies. This is Catholic belief. They've actually got a, a, a woman, a nurse who died over a hundred years ago. She's, she's perfectly preserved. Like she's asleep. So, world over people have seen this. Why aren't their bodies decaying? Because they're alive. You don't start walking down the street and your arm drops off. Right? Why? Because living people don't decay. It's only when you die, when the soul leaves the body, the body starts to lose its you know, unity. It starts decaying. So that's why Sayyidina Hamza, for instance, Radiyallahu, over 46 years after he was buried, they, you know, they wanted the water going into Ukhd, so they had to respectfully move the bodies. By accident, somebody struck Hamza's leg and blood came out. 46 years later, <laughs> the whole body disintegrates to nothing in eight years. That's what science tells us. You bury somebody, after eight years, there's nothing but dust, nothing left. Well, what happened here? 38 years after that, blood's coming out of his body. And the scholars actually add, Allah Ta'ala wanted to give him another mark of jihad, even in Barzakh. <laughs> he didn't have enough marks on his body, he still had another mark to get. Right? So this was Hamza Allah. Even more amazing, in the early 20th century, 19, I can't remember the exact date, 1920 or thereabouts, they exhumed two bodies of the Sahaba. And they were completely intact. How many years had they been buried? 1,300 years. Body were completely intact. And an expert who was a non-Muslim German expert. He goes, I could see the, the, the signs of life in their eyes. Should we find that strange? The martyrs are alive, the Quran is saying. Sahaba are alive. They're higher than the martyrs. So the prophets are alive in the grave. When you go and give salam, you're not going to a body. You're going to Rasulullah. That's why he said, Sallallahu He who visits me after my death, it is as if he's visit me, visited me in my life. Why did he say that? Sallallahu in Daruputti, because that is exactly the case. It doesn't make you sahaba. You don't go to the grave and say, I'm Radiyullah, right? No, that's when he was physically with us with his bodily form, and he was conversing openly, not in the grave. So all of this is showing the maqam of the Prophet. Also, Rasulullah, his maqam is so immense that he said this. In Sahih Muslim number 2531, I am a guide for my companions. Thus, if I leave, what will strike my companions will surely strike them. Similarly, the companions are the guides for my entire ummah. If they leave, then verily, what will strike my ummah will certainly strike it. This is an amazing hadith, if you reflect upon it. So, what does it mean? The Sahaba, our belief, are the greatest people after the Prophets and Messengers. If anybody could be protected from the Shaitan after the Prophets, it would be the Sahaba. 
we believe that they are mahfuz, not ma'asum. Ma'asum means Allah Ta'ala is protecting them from sin. That's the prophets and messengers. We don't believe anybody else has that from the human beings. The rawafid, they are other categories, but that's just nothing but foolishness. The prophets and messengers are the only ones ma'asum amongst the human beings. The companions aren't ma'asum, they're mahfuz. Mahfuz means that before they die, Allah Ta'ala will be pleased with them. Meaning, they may slip, but because of the status of Rasulullah and they accompanying him, they will not die without the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Rasulullah said in this hadith, when I leave, I'm protecting them. I myself protect all my sahab. When I leave, that's when troubles will strike my companions. So he was like kind of an amana. He was a trustee over the sahaba. Then look at the status of the sahaba. The sahaba are a trustee for my entire ummah. Meaning nothing serious can happen to my ummah. As long as my sahaba are here. When they leave, what will strike my ummah will strike it. So note, the sahaba have been given a maqam. Not because of their incredible deeds, even though they are amazing, it's because of Rasulullah. And because of Rasulullah's company, they are protecting the entire ummah. So isn't it true? We've got the Quran from the Sahab. Isn't it true? We've got the Sunnah from the Sahab. Isn't it true? We've got everything from the Sahab in terms of our deen. When they trustees. Why? Because they were the students of Rasulullah. The maqam of the Prophet is shown again. Another thing which is very important to highlight before wrapping up. How do you become a Sahab? So the scholars point out, you spend one moment with Rasulullah. He casts his blessed gaze upon you and you die with Iman. Your Sahab. So, hypothetically, somebody saw the Prophet, or sorry, the Prophet saw a Sahaba for half a second. That person died with Iman, he's Sahaba. Now, this is what's fascinating. When it comes to the Tabi'een and Taba Tabi'een, it's not the same. For you to become a Tabi'een, you would think logically it's the same thing. A Sahaba just casts his blessed gaze upon a person. That person dies with the Iman. He's Tabi'i. The answer is no, he's not. So a person goes, hey, how do you become a Tabi'i? They say he must spend six months or a period of time studying with the Sahaba. Only then he has the Baqam of a Tabi'i. And the same is the case for the Taba Tabi'i. A Tabi'i. A person sits with the Tabi'in, studies with him for six months or so, depending upon what the scholars have said in terms of duration. Then he becomes Taba Tabi'in. So the question is posed, why is there a difference for the Prophet, for the Sahaba? Why don't they need to spend six months studying with Rasulullah? And this is the amazing response of the scholars. Because of the immensity of the prophetic rank. Because of the immensity of the prophetic rank. How can you compare Sahaba to Rasulullah? How can you compare Tabi'in to the Rasulullah? Because he was 
immense in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A moment is sufficient. Think about that. That's the immensity of the Rasulullah status. One second. Imagine. Think of a great saint. You know, the one I always mention is Sheikh Abdul Qadir Jilani. Probably one of the most famous saints. Rahmatullahi. If our belief is, and this is not to disrespect the saint, but a million Sheikh Abdul Qadir Jilani's cannot equal one sahab. So a person goes, what do you mean? Because of the immensity of the prophetic rank. How can anybody equal somebody who had the honor being in the company of the Prophet? Anybody who has company with the Prophet, he is honored and nobody can catch that person up. Not because of the person, because of Rasulullah. The immensity of the prophetic rank. That's why to find fault with Sahaba, you are actually finding fault with Rasulullah. We say a moment is enough for their purity, for their rank. Nobody can catch them. They're in Firdos. Because of the immensity of the prophetic rank. And the deviants say, there's hypocrites amongst them. So who are they really finding fault with? If you think about that. So note, the angles that you discuss with Rasulullah, you realize that he truly was unique. He was the chosen servant. That's why his name is Al-Mustafa. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Are there any questions you have to ask?